All right. Theology refs, round two. Travis is back here with us. We're at round two. We're going to kind of jump into it. Travis is going to remind everybody where we're at and where we're going to be starting at. So, Trav, why don't you go ahead and take it? All right. So, <laughs> we're continuing our excursion uh, yeah. through the uh, the sermon from the, the Savage Jesus series by Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. Um, and it was... Uh, we had ended last time around minute 26, uh, about 2618 roughly, where we had just pointed out that in his sermon he mentioned, the more I studied it, I thought maybe there's some legion in me. I don't mean demonic <laughs> possession, but I do mean oppression. I've got my own chains. So in other words, this is just plain into the, the entire sermon. He has begun to take literally every character in this story, uh, in this biblical account, and then flip it to where you are now placed into the story at every point. How does this, how do the demons relate to you? How does Jesus relate to you? How does the apostles crossing the lake relate to you? How do the pigs relate to you? Like literally it is every character. Oh man. Shouldn't it be a red flag to anybody the minute that you say, I have a little bit of legion in me. That should be a red flag to begin with. I don't care what kind of point that you're making here. That is the most insane point to try to pull out of this whole story that you've got legion in you because you're a ch yeah. carry on Trent. this is why <laughs> i yeah it, and, and why. I mean, again we chuckle at this because it is so absurd and yet it, when we look at the comments when we look at how many people view this when we look mm -hmm. at how many people hold this to be like just so important in their life that, oh this is life changing this they is serious. don't know god no no they don't this is a non this is a gospel that cannot save you right. and this is this is why we do this because this is this is serious this is something that maybe some innocent people are caught up in but the people that are teaching us and, and then the te the people that buy into this and support this and forward this teaching are definitely wolves that we need to be cautious of Right, and so that leads into, as we continue on in the sermon, again, that was around minute 2618, as we press forward, uh, essentially he goes off on a slight tangent about how essentially everyone is crazy in the crowd, right? Because he thought he was crazy, uh, and then as he goes down this path, um, he believes at, like around minute 27, and I realize the devil doesn't check your net worth before he tries to wreck your house. Again, this throws the whole fact that the devil is now oppressing you, everyone, oppressing everyone. Um, and once I found out y'all were all crazy, I was no longer intimidated around minute 27, 38. So the, one of the points that we wanted to hit on and, and to show why this is so dangerous is because as we get to 2750 through 2819, which we're about to play, um, you're going to realize that at, a, at an opportunity where he calls out people's sins and people should be convicted over these things, as some of them probably would have been having heard this, they instead, or instead, he doesn't call repentance. He doesn't call anybody to repent because as you'll hear, apparently everybody is a victim. It is literally the victim mentality in this sermon. It, you're not guilty of anything. It's literally just you are being oppressed by Satan, by demons, and, and poor you. Is, and something is owed to you and that you're special. All right, so we'll jump into it here at minute 27.50 in this sermon. Once I realized 
that you might be out of control in your spending, your eating, your sexuality. If I kept going long enough, I'd clear the whole room out of self-righteousness. There would not be one more Pharisee spirit left to hear this sermon if I kept going. Dare me to do it. I will name every demon in this room. All right. So, yeah, like I said, just, you know, I'm going to name every demon in this room. Hey, great opportunity to call people to repent. <laughs> Again, I, I have yet to hear a sermon where he literally calls someone to repent um, out of multiple that I've heard now, unfortunately. It doesn't. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't it, speak on a repentance. He never does. It, mm-hmm. it is the assumption that everyone in the room is literally already a Christian and they're still just victims and they, I don't even know. Yet they're, they are admittingly seeker-sensitive for new believers. So if you're seeker-sensitive for new believers, you can't already assume that somebody knows what repentance is. I mean, nobody knows what repentance is if you're a new believer and you're not teaching it. That's why this is an extremely uh, heretical doctrine that they're teaching, especially without mentioning repentance. I mean, that's just, it's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. So I wanted to read, because we want to put Scripture in again. We want to exalt Christ. Uh, So this would have been more of a proper point of Scripture that he could have raised, right? So I'm going to read from 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. And some of you may know this, but here it is. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. Brandon, you know that too. But have you noticed what I just read? Because again, he could have pointed this out. The lust of the flesh, yeah. lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. You realize that's what Satan tempted Eve with in the garden? It hasn't changed. Mm-mm. We all battle those things that is something that we you know struggle with so again he could have used that opportunity but well the the name of the certain is you must be important that's a pride of life right there (laughs) i mean mean, that's just a flesh really you must be important you and the flesh are important christ must have done everything that he did just for you to live the life that you want to live without repentance that's essentially what this is saying and travis that's a perfect example of a of a direction that he could have taken it if he was trying to really trying to build a a uh, sermon here all right so as he continues in this sermon uh again he's now going to equate crazy instead of like he's going to call everybody crazy instead of sinful Uh, that's literally what he's saying now so as we move on now we're going to hear how exactly he apparently turns everybody into having legion in themselves. But as you'll hear, it's not even demonic anymore. It's literally personas. So this is at starting at 2857 through about 2922. I am legion, he said. Legion is 6,000 foot soldiers. That's a lot of demons. Jesus said, what is your name? You know my name. Do you know yours? 
Do you know who you are? Or do you have so many different personas? You know, because we're all legion. We're all a little bit of legion. And there you go. So apparently now he's going to equate personas to having numerous demons. So, oh my goodness. So he's going to continue on. Yes, you heard that right. He literally said that we all have a little bit of legion in us. He, he literally said these things. And it's to people that are sitting back going, wow, why, hey, wow, like their lives are changed by the statement. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it literally is tragic as you as you start to follow what he's doing just to make a sermon. He, he is equating us to every character. And I know we're, we're almost like beating this down because but he, he keeps changing it. Every part of his sermon, he literally turns the focus on you. It's like, at what point do you turn it back to Christ? Um, so as he continues on, <clears throat> we're going to keep going. Uh, and, you know, he's going to talk about his own mini-me's and even how his kid is similar to him. And uh, let's see, if he interviews your spouse, what's your spouse going to say? All right, this next point here really, really, really gets under my skin. Um, let me just go ahead and play the 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 little piece of it here and then we'll I'll talk on it. Like you don't know how true that is. There are many me's. <laughs> huh? There's online you. There's Sunday morning you. That's the only one I ever get to see. But then I found out there's a Friday night you. <laughs> don't make me interview your spouse, please. I will pull them up here and give them the Friday night, you. Mini me's. Implying you're a different person from when you come to church on Sundays than who you are through the rest of the week. So you're automatically promoting Sunday Christians right there, just right off the bat, just throwing it out there. But to me, this really, this really hit me too when he says, there's mini me's. And I was, for some reason, Romans 8, five through nine just kept going through my head so i'll go ahead and read it for those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please god you, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, if you truly have the Holy Spirit, there's not many yous. There's one you. And it's a mind set on the spirit. You are a new creation. That just... That little clip got under my skin to no end because I, I, I really think that that is that's dangerous in so many ways. And the fact that so many people were just laughing and cheering at the difference between Sunday you and, Sa and, and Saturday night or Friday you. Friday night you. That's what it was. Friday night you, which, of course, everybody knows what Friday night you means. But 
that was just that one got under my skin. Right, and then again, that just builds on the fact that there is no call to repentance. Um, Zero. Absolutely yeah. not. And and I mean, they should have been convicted. So instead of laughing, they should have been like, "Oh, oh yeah, there is a Friday night me," just right. as you said. Right. And that we're not trying to, to promote a sense that you are going to be sinless the entire time, but the fact is that you know, as a new creation, as the Spirit dwells in us and convicts the world of sin. That is us being convicted of our sins. We cry out to God to forgive us of our sins. And the more revelation we receive and understand God's truth and how the scriptures convict us and bear upon us, we then change. And that's why we are sanctified from day to day, from one level of grace to the next, as we are made more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so, you know, again, that's not even a funny point. Uh, But yeah, it's a great point, Brandon. I mean, that's... it, it. it hurts. It yeah, really hurts. Yeah. So, okay. So moving along again, as we continue on, I'll just try and quickly summarize. So he does hit on that points a little bit. Um, you know, there's a you that cries out. Uh, you keep pushing people away. Apparently you've been living among tombs, which he equates then to the mall pornography addiction. I mean, anything is. And let's acknowledge here. that these tombs do not represent any of these things. This is a far, far stretch. Right. Matter of fact, these tombs don't represent anything other than just the fact that they were ho- they were housing this demon possessed man. That's what in the, in the story. I mean, he's really reaching far to make these all these tombs personal, like personal demons, is what he's doing yeah. with the tombs, and it's well, right. And the tombs, literally in the rocks again, if you remember. <laughs> yes. Since he hasn't gone back to the actual scriptures is where they would have buried their dead among the rocks. Correct. In the caves and stuff. Correct. That's where this man lives, among the among dead. Among the dead. That's kind of the idea. But he changes it to the mall, to everything else. Yeah. Uh, Maybe your tomb or, is... Or, yeah, or an addiction, which is a complete change of category. So, yeah, again, it's painful. But So he continues on. Essentially, the demons uh, all run before Jesus around minute 30, 35. Uh, he tries to give the story that they, you know, they want it. This is how they liked it. Um, the demons, that is, until Jesus comes because he's stronger. Um, oh, man, <laughs> at 31.42, if you really want to know the summation, of this, he says uh, the pigs are the most important part. So there you go. Um, the pigs. He goes back into the idea of the demons going to the pigs as he continues on and uh, goes about this story. He actually changes it into the devil, but we're going to hear the next part. Um, what did I say? 32, 51. 51. Sorry, I'm just trying to slip through, <laughs> flip through my notes as we do this. Uh, no, pages no. upon pages. And yes, I'm finally going to scan it and get it into the system. So yeah, so we will stuff. have these notes. Too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So 32, 51. Let's hear what he has to say, and you're going to see a point that I would like to build upon. This is it. Stay with me. Are you with me? Come on, we're on something. Are you with me? Lean into this word. The word you resist is the one that you need. Jesus is in this house. The presence of God is in this place. The power of Almighty God is in this moment. All right. So, if God (laughs) in his presence is in that place, being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... Let's, let's actually look at what Scripture says. For example, John 16. Mm-hmm. This is verse 5, and I'm going to read. 
But now I am going to him who sent me, Jesus speaking of him going to his father as he's talking to his disciples on the night before he is crucified. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit is actually in that place, convicting them of their sins. I don't see it. No. Again, no call to repentance. No, there was none. Yeah. So... This this outward claim, and a lot of times they almost have to try and make the claim just to make people feel like, oh, yes, God is in this place because your emotions are stirred. No, do not confuse emotions yes. with God's Amen. presence. Can you have an emotional response to Scripture? Sure. Absolutely. There are times where I get very emotional. I actually tear up and cry sometimes oh, over yeah. certain passages as sure. I'm convicted or just I realize the depth and beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see that in this. So I had to let him, <laughs> we had to play that part. Yeah. Just to show that, you know, as he gets puffed up and as he tries to, to make the claim that God's in this place, that it's... Yeah, it's like if the, if the Holy Spirit was in this place, it would be convicting everybody of their sin and we wouldn't be standing up there praising a man that's comparing you to, to Legion. I mean, it's like we're not. We snicker and we laugh, and but it's in it, and it is kind of humorous in some aspects. But we are completely serious with it. I mean, this is this is things that he's doing, and and people defend it like it's it's a comedy show and it's funny and it's it, this is this is not something that you wanna wanna do with God's word. All right, so we're actually going to continue immediately from this, just because I think there's a big point here as he gets into this, because something even more dangerous, putting words into God's mouth. Yeah. We, listen, it's one thing to explain a story in the common vernacular, but even that's a little bit of a gray area. Sure. But when you literally start putting words in Jesus's mouth to make now your we have own issues. story, Real issues. that's a problem. It's a problem. So I think you just continue right from that point. Okay. Here we go. You got to go. Let that man go. He's important to me. I went through the storm to get to him. I went through the thunder and the lightning to get to him. I went through bucketfuls of water, bail out of Peter's boat to get to him. I came two hours across the Sea of Galilee, and I've only got three years to change the world. This man is a VIP. I know everybody else has forgotten about him, but I want him. Now, let me say something real quick. If he went through the storm for this man, and he went to the cross for you how valuable must you be i don't even know where to start with that one so travis i mean (laughs) oh thanks that (laughs) but that's what our point was he literally again because of his sermon the way that he's explaining it if you remember from our previous one we discussed that how The whole idea was Jesus maybe heard this man crying out, so he just decided one day, well, let me go free him. 
again, you know, we said God does everything with a purpose. Jesus had a very strict sure. timeline. He knew exactly what he was doing, when he did it, and why he did it. And there's no st- scriptural basis for this. Like he says, maybe this Jesus heard this guy. Maybe. Maybe. So he built this whole narrative off of maybe and if. Right. And is, is preaching it. Yeah, and as you heard, you know, I, I went through the thunder and the lightning. I went through bucketfuls of water bailed out of Peter's boat. For you. Right. I've only got three years to change the world. This man is a VIP. And by the way. Only three years to change the world? Yeah. That made me want to punch my screen. <laughs> so, so for those that don't know, if you've never been to Elevation, the very first time you go, you are considered a VIP. You get to sit right next to the cameraman and right in the best seat in the house, and you are treated. You get to park up front with all the thousands of people that got to park you know, 30 minutes away. Oh, yeah, you're special and important. So, again, this would have resonated with all the people in there. He is just puffing their pride up left and right. Now, again, right at the end of that passage, I mean, at the, that statement, he does say Jesus went to the cross, I can at least appreciate he said that. That's the only time in the sermon he even mentioned anything about Jesus in the cross, if I remember correctly. Gospel, he died, yeah, dying but for your... again, it was because you are so important. Right, it, it gets turned to you. Right. You must be important. He went through this boat in Peter's water for you because you're important. All right, so again, he's now playing on the part where you're, you're most valuable or something a part of your life is the value is most valuable. Um, so he's going to continue on, but almost immediately he's going to get to a point because again, everything he says is to build his own sermon. So he's twisting the story to make a point, a point that is unnecessary if you just let the scriptures speak and just expound on the scriptures, but that's not what he's doing here. So, you know, we just heard him say, he went to the cross for you, how valuable it must be. Um, but immediately he then continues the story at 3357 and Jesus said, okay, you can go into the pigs and they went into the pigs and they, and they make the, then they make the pigs drown is what he said. I'm quoting from what I wrote down. Um, and he's going to play into this next part about somehow now that the demons know that what's most valuable to you in this case of the herders and the people of this area, the garrisons, is that the pigs are their economy. So this is almost like a story where now they are conniving. Oh, if we ask Jesus to go into the pigs and we make the pigs go drown, guess what? They're not going to want Jesus around. No. So let's hear how he twists this next part. What the demons know that we don't know. I think the demons understood that the people in the region cared more about the pigs than they did about the man. This is 2,000 pigs. This represents a significant part of the portfolio of these pig owners. This is a region that is known for raising pigs. So what does the enemy attack? Whatever you value the most. And yes, he knows what you value. And yes, he knows how to hit you where it hurts the most. And that's why he'll use people to get to your relationship with God. 
Okay, so he'll finish that up, but what's most valuable is your relationship with God. But again, so he just twisted the story to say, well, now the demons are going to attack their economy. Now, I don't deny 2,000 pigs probably was a big part of their economy. It probably was, and yes, I mean, the Garnices is an area where it's a Gentile region, so yes, there's there was pigs there. But there's no indication at all that that these were a huge part of these people's portfolio and that it hit him in the wallet and this whole narrative that he's building off of this is nowhere to be found in scripture right and so just as a reminder again because he is teaching through mark 5 mark 5 12 the demons implored him saying send us into the swine so that we may enter them verse 13 jesus gave them permission If this is a conniving plan that all Satan and the, these demons are going to attack their economy and they, because that won't keep, you know, that'll keep them away from Jesus, Jesus played right into it. Are you telling me he willingly played into this, this idea? No. He came to demonstrate his authority. Yeah, absolutely. Which, That's what it, this whole story was about. Exactly. So, and again, this is just another... And so how he point. built this whole sermon off of that... When the whole narrative was to do nothing other than display who, what Christ divinity, especially in these, like you said earlier, I mean, you just kind of summed the whole thing up when you said that here's this man standing, and then the man that was just in his right mind from being demon-possessed by chains that were, they could not keep this man, and yet Jesus did it. That just, that sums up the whole, the whole point of the story right there. That's all you need to do with it. <laughs> but Right, absolutely. Here we have a whole sermon off of this. I mean, we can almost just exalt Christ and leave it at this. Amen. If you, so in Mark 5, if you continued, what, what Brandon was mentioning is verse 15, they came to Jesus. This is after, you know, okay, verse 14. I'll just back up. So their herdsmen ran away and reported to the city in the country and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that happened. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right of mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Think about this. Frightened. It wasn't upset. It wasn't, oh, you just ruined our economy. No. It they was were terrified. They were like, what? Right. The? Exactly. Because what else do you do when a man who was bound and chained right. could not be held together by anything. Is now, right. Is now sitting at his right of mind at the feet. That is a place of subservient. Right. Exactly. Right? Jesus is standing there like, yes, that was yep, me. That was me. Yeah. And in any part of the scriptures, if you just go back, like the point when Jesus tells in the boat with Peter, hey, cast your net to the other side after he does a teaching. And what does he do? He says, well, we fished all night long, caught nothing, but he, okay, because you said it, he does it. What is Peter's reaction? Terror. Right, yeah, because when he realized what happened, yeah. Of holiness. Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees God and the throne opened up, even a man who was a prophet goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. I'm undone. Like, there's this point where these people are terrified of Jesus. Yeah, Peter says, What? Please leave me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Right. When he realized what happens, he says, Please leave me. Get away. Like, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Exactly. So if they just understood what happened, it wasn't because of some plot that Satan was trying to ruin their economy. <laughs> oh, it was because they like, couldn't weren't worthy to be in the presence of an. Like, 
So at, for the sake of his sermon, he literally just destroyed an opportunity to elevate and exalt Christ. Which, when you do that, we're not talking about innocence here anymore. Now we're getting into serious, serious issues that, I mean, that, that's why, the reason why we're doing this whole thing. Absolutely. All right, next point in this whole thing right here, and we're only going to play a short little clip and then stop it and then talk on it, and then we're going to go ahead and, and re-kind of give you the whole summarization of what he's doing as being this hype man, like this this Tony Robbins motivational speaker that he's doing here. Um, but we'll go ahead and play this little clip. He's, he's talking here about uh, the devil knowing, well... We'll just let it play, and then we'll talk on it. Yeah, yeah there you go. So this is going to – we're going to skip down a little bit to 3722 yeah. and let them play. But just so you're aware, uh, between 35 and 37, yes, apparently he does pull Job into the story. Job's a bad dude. Uh, he even at one point says uh, around 35, 45, he knows how to keep you bound. And since he couldn't stay in the man, the devil went into the pig. So, again, he's already confusing demons with the devil. No, those two separate entities, right? Um, but apparently, you know, just how the devil went after Job's relationship with God by attacking his herds and his family. Like, somehow this is all related to this one same story. So he's now going to, again, amp the crowd up. And this time it gets really heavy. But beginning at 37.22, we're going to do a quick pause, hit on a point, and then continue on got good news he only attacks what's valuable so if he has attacked you lately get ready to shout guess what that means about you you must be important you <laughs> the devil knows more about your destiny than you do the devil knows more about your destiny than you do that claim you just you just equated Satan with Christ, first of all, to say that Satan knows your destiny. Satan does not know your destiny. There is, there's no scriptural basis for that whatsoever. Satan only knows what he hears. Not, he, he's not omnipresent. He does not, he does not have any, any divine knowledge of you or your life. I mean, the only thing that Satan is is a parrot. So to say, to say that, that the devil knows more about your destiny than you do, um, that may be true if you don't have the spirit. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's, yeah. So we wanted to continue on just right from here because he's about to amp them up big time all to make his point. So here yeah. we continue. Here we go. Something on your life. Can I preach this like God gave it to me? God said some of you are breaking generational curses and you don't even know it. And that's why it's been so hard. And that's why it's been so strong. And that's why it's been so dark. Because you're so strong and you're so positioned and you're so important to his purpose. must be important the devil wouldn't tie you up if he wasn't afraid of what would happen if you got loose again to 
literally to play into his whole narrative, the devil wouldn't tie you up if he wasn't afraid of what would happen if you got loose. Yeah. You literally just heard him like elevate the crowd to such a high point that Christ is so far back in the rearview mirror now that the, like what is left? It's literally, man, look at me. I am so strong. I, oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. I must be going through a hard time because the devil is afraid of me. Okay. Oh, man. So this, this just literally reminded me of something in Jude. So if you turn there, and yes, it's only one chapter. Uh, but just listen here. This is uh, beginning in verse 8. Yet in the same way, speaking of false teachers, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Yes, that can also speak of demons. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them <laughs> that's a very very harsh rebuke right there but it's true i mean that's it's a great point the other point that i wanted to bring up too that really bugged me in the beginning of this was the whole some of you are breaking generational curses and you don't even know it first thing that came to mind was john 9 2 when the disciples were asking jesus about the blind man who sinned this man or his parents says no 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 that's not that's not how this works <laughs> it's the, this is so that the works of god might be displayed in this man amen so to say some of you are breaking generational curses and that's why that you're struggling you don't even know you're struggling so far because you're breaking your generational curses that's um that's a this generational cursing is like a new age element that has infiltrated the church and this has been kind of a common uh common theme i know that we've gotten a plenty of different uh questions and stuff just from the ministry on generational curses and things like this because this is something that people are hearing it's extremely dangerous oh so the absurdity is going to continue now literally with now he's going to change the story yet again to remember it's the demons breaking the chains of the people right? They couldn't keep him bound. Jesus now comes, sets the man free from the demons. But somehow he's now going to use just this analogy of breaking chains to make yet another unbiblical point. So we're, it almost continues right at 38, 34. Here we go. So I said he wouldn't tie you up. It's the opposite. I thought the storm meant God had left me. I found out it meant that grace was on the way. I thought the shackles meant God couldn't use me. I found out that the shackles mean God is looking for someone who knows how to break chains. Now, I just wonder, are there any chain breakers in the house today? I mean, you see chain breakers, Rock Hill chain breakers. If you're a chain breaker and you know it, and you've been through some things and you have some issues and you forgot who you were for a moment, but in the presence of God today, you're starting to remember, I am a child of God. Take a few moments and praise him for what's on the other side. 
Yes, my eyes are closed and I'm shaking my head. <laughs> it's it's so bad, people. Listen. <laughs> so, again, because we want to exalt Christ, we want to bring this back to Scripture. And as I reminded before, okay, the demons were breaking human chains. Jesus was powerful to cast them out. And if you're going to equate God is looking for chain breakers, um, how about I show you a chain that nobody breaks except the Son? John chapter 8, <laughs> verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. You cannot break that chain. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Do you get that? It is the son who breaks those types of chains. Yep. You are powerless. Yeah. And just as Brandon mentioned earlier in Romans 8, for the flesh cannot please cannot. God. Cannot. That is why we need an incredible Savior. That is yep. why we need the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to bring us into life so that we can love and know God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, and that's the... Um, that's And I, I know we won't wrap up here. We're getting close to wrapping up this one. But this is one of the problems that I constantly sing about on... Uh, just on on my stuff is that this is part of this kingdom now domin dominionism theology that is implying that Christians have this call and ability to be these chain breakers and to make this difference in the world and this social justice gospel is all this stuff is mixed up together in this message when you hear something like that you are in power you are the chain breaker you are the one that's breaking it that's taking all kinds of power out of christ's hands and putting it into your own hands and even that statement even just saying that you can you can hear and know that that is dangerous and this is something that you can't you can't do at all but this this whole thing just leads back to this um this thing where we have to just take dominion over the world and take control of every aspect of it and break every single you know chain that's on anything and that this is not the case at all i mean that that will only lead you to to miserable failure it, it, it attempting this on your own as Travis just pointed out we need a savior the flesh is hostile to God we cannot break these chains on our own we cannot do these things so again this type of this type of even just uh, the wording that he uses is just uh, you know you need to be remain very cautious of this type of thing alright so oh goodness anyway. <laughs> and for how much you have to hear this we've already had to listen to it oh yeah so many times 
Um, so really, the last eight minutes, uh, I mean, as he kind of sums up all this points, and again, he draws even characters outside of this to show how you are important. I mean, immediately in the next minute from 40.10 on, uh, he's going to compare you to being in the fire to show Nebuchadnezzar that he is God because you're important. Uh, you spend the night with the lions, and God demonstrates his strength through that because you must be important. He drowned all the horses in the Red Sea <laughs> so the nations will know that he has got... Oh you must gosh. be important. So, like, I mean, he's going to try and allegorize every single character in the Bible now just to somehow continue this one message that he has made. Uh, and in fact, he's going to do that through a lot of his sermons. They go back to the same points. Um, but, you know, and, and there's a few other things that I personally got irked, um, you know, moving through 40, 51. I won't hit on it fully, but he combines uh, Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Uh, the concept of that which is shaken will remain even though it's speaking of God's kingdom, he's now going to make it you. Um, and then how the, uh, your house is built on, is not built on the sand. Again, he's referencing Matthew 7. But the one whose house was built on the sand, again, that is the one who hears the message and does not do anything. Do you really think a lot of these people actually did anything with this? No, because again, there's no repentance. There's no call to turn from their sinful ways Many of them are going to continue with their Friday night you and their Sunday morning you. And, you know, even though that he points out that's the case, yeah. And why doesn't he call them to repent, you know? So he's going to continue on this. Again, you're important because Jesus went through the storm as he goes through. And literally, as he gets down to it, you know, um, I'll give him credit at 4111. This man was so important that Jesus went through the storm to get to him. And you were so important that Jesus went through Gethsemane to get to you. And you were so important that he passed through the membrane of eternity into the construct called time to come to you. So, he's, again, he's acknowledging things that Jesus did. But, again, the focus isn't on Christ. It's on you. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's, it's just painful. And as he continues, um, he is going to hit quickly on the, the weird, strange point that, you know, Jesus calls the, the apostles and disciples to follow him. But this man, now that he has been cleansed of the demons, he calls him to go into and preach into his own town and declare all that the things that the Lord has done. But if you follow the text, if you follow what Jesus' mission is, if you remember, his focus first is on Israel, is on Jerusalem. But there are times where even when he uh, meets with the woman at the well, right, he tells her to go in and tell the people. And yes, even though he stays a little bit because he's passing through, he's not staying here to pass through, mm -mm. but he did create a missionary. But the idea is once Christ is risen, remember what he says. He says, beginning with Jerusalem and Israel, then move on into the Gentile lands and through all the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. So there was a plan to spread and continue as the apostles move through it. But the focus in God's timing wasn't quite there yet. And yet still... God uses this man at this point. So he will make that, that point. Um, but again, then he's going to turn that back to you and say, because where you're at in your life and you're going through a hard time, God will still use you here. He didn't call you to go somewhere else. So anyways, um, yep. And then he's going to again say, well, uh, around 
4715. So now I know, come on, I need about 70 more people who know who got this word. And you know that you had to be here today, not so you could just survive the storm, so that after you survived it, after you've lived through it, after you broke the chains off your life, now God is ready to use you again. We can't break the, chain, the chains of sin. We are in the kingdom of darkness until he frees us. Like We must seek Christ and all this. And it just, again, it pains us to go through this, but we wanted to demonstrate what it looks like when somebody twists the scriptures to make their own point, their own message, and how people get so caught up in this that they just don't see it. They're blinded by it. And they think it's such a great message. And yet when we look at scripture, we can discern these things and point out, no, this is awful. Because while you do this, while you make man the focus, Christ now is, is gone. He, he, there, there's, no, there's no focus on him. Sure. It's, it's elevating the person, making the person think that they are so special when they need to be broken, they need to see Christ in his glory, they need to see Christ in his authority over these things. And this is not a message that does that. No, not at all. I mean, the 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 sermon, again, is called You Must Be Important. And the first thing that I did when I heard the name of this sermon was I thought of Galatians 6.3 right off the bat. For if anybody thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You are, when you are nothing, that's like you're nothing. Do not think of yourself. It's something more than you are. You are not a chain breaker. You don't think of yourself as the chain breaker. You're deceiving yourself. Christ is the only person that frees you from these bonds. You don't free yourself from these bonds. And this is just something that just keeps getting repeated and repeated. And, and um, I thought, you know, this, this sermon was, it was great. Travis picked this one out to do it, to try to give him the best opportunity to try to at least preach the gospel in, in some way, you know, or, or, or to get something out of it. And um, this is what we got out of it. I mean, this this is this is he's preaching the gospel here, but this isn't the gospel. He's preaching out of the gospel, but he he's not preaching the gospel. And that this this whole sermon has just been um, very very telling of um, most of his work. Honestly, I mean, this is this is pretty much a a, a common theme in most of elevation sermons most of the the content that they produce and their music and everything else too this is a common theme and um it's it's just kind of it should be telling anybody that's being a brand and, and weighing these things with scripture should see the dangers and the differences here of the things that he's claiming and then the things that jesus actually says and does so, the, I mean, this sh hopefully we were able to bring uh, attention to this. If you, um, you know, if you were not um, not aware of these things, if maybe you're involved in this innocently and, you know, this sounds good to you and you just aren't sure, um, you know, hopefully this was able to help point out a couple points of, of things to people to look for. I know we have plans uh, to do these before and we're not. 
when we had talked about this, we we figured about just kind of like flagging um, different preachers that you know that are that are teaching. But I think we kind of want to balance it out too. Um, Travis and I had talked about doing one where we we go through one where a um, you know a preacher is that that really is preaching a real sermon, you know things to look for and that. And then when we talked about it, I was like, "What? You want me to just remain quiet and just let Paul Washer talk for an hour? And a half? I can <laughs> no, do that exactly. just fine." <laughs> oh, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I think we don't want to pick out of it. We want to present um, you know things that you want to be looking for too. Absolutely, and uh, I'll just in this and in something that came to mind too was the you know the gospel must also show who God is. You know, scriptures make it clear that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Yes, fear. Yes, when people see God in his presence, they are terrified. Just as they, these people, the Gerasenes came and saw Jesus having cleansed this man, they were terrified. They knew this was God. This was not normal. This man here is something more than just a man standing in the presence of them. And they were terrified. So... We must seek to show people who God is first, and then the depth and darkness of ourselves, Amen. And yeah. the need for Christ—that is the gospel. Yep. So, Amen. Uh, we thank you for yeah. following and listening, and uh, we'll look forward to the the next one. Yep. Thanks for going through with us, guys.